All right, so we're going to turn to our passage for today. We're continuing through the power of the king today in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1. If you wanted to use a Bible in the seats in front of you, it's on page 813 in those Bibles, and everything's going to be up here on the screen. So why don't we read Matthew 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So our first point in the passage today Uh, might be a question this man asked before the story even took place. And that question is, who can heal me? When I I saw what was happening there, I thought about my career at Beaumont Hospital. I'm I'm an accountant, so I'm not not in a medical field. But in my leadership roles there, I've gotten to know a lot of the great physicians who practice there. And many times over the years, people have come to me facing health crises and saying, hey, do you know a physician who can help me? Can you refer me to a great surgeon or someone who treats cancer or diabetes? And I'm always happy to help when I, when I can. And um, usually when we're all in that situation ourselves, we're saying, who can heal me? And that was a question this man must have asked. He was paralytic, unable to move either all or part of his body, and he was confined to bed. So who could heal him? And while I don't think they had billboards uh, advertising doctors back in the time of Jesus, they did have word of mouth advertising, and word was getting around about Jesus. In our study of Matthew, if you just look at the last chapter, he displayed amazing power while he walked on this earth. And one of the main things we've been studying is he healed people. He healed the man with leprosy, a terrible disease. Jesus reached out and touched him. And nobody else would do that in that day, but he touched him and he healed him. Uh, Jesus didn't fear because he had supernatural healing power. And in compassion, he healed him. In another case, Jesus showed he could heal a person A paralyzed person, like this one in our story, who was suffering terribly, a person who wasn't even in the same room with him. Remember a powerful Roman captain, army captain, asked Jesus to just give instruction, just say the words for his servant to be healed. And so Jesus healed him from afar. Imagine, no waiting in the doctor's office, no painful procedure, just a request and he was healed. Jesus healed, it says, all who were sick in that town. Why? That people might recognize that Jesus had this power to heal because he was the Son of God, 
the promised king. And so his fame spread. And Jesus could heal this man in our story too. Jesus brought hope. Jesus brought healing to those who were sick. And in doing so, he provided a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And it was described back in, by the prophet Isaiah. In a verse in Isaiah 35, verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And I'm sure this man would love to have leaped like a deer, but he could not move. He was paralyzed. He was stuck. Who can heal him? Well, we know Jesus could heal him. How could he get to Jesus? And that leads to our second question. Our second point in the form of a question is, who can help me? In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, there's another account of this story, and it mentions that there were four men who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus on his bed, carried his bed, and because of a large crowd, they persisted in lowering him through the roof so he could see Jesus. Author Skip Heitzig notes this about that day and age. He says, Life was more difficult in ancient cultures which didn't have modern conveniences of wheelchairs or special moving equipment. Unless the paralytics were surrounded by a loving family unit, they often faced neglect and rejection. So here's this man. He's unable to help himself. He needed practical help. Without it, he couldn't see Jesus. But he wasn't neglected. He wasn't rejected. But great friends these must have been. And you know, when you read the passage, they don't really get any credit for that. They aren't identified even as friends. They're not called friends. What are they called? You look in the passage, it says, some people. Yeah, some people brought him to Jesus. Just some people. And we know they were persistent based on what they did to get him in front of Jesus. They were true friends indeed. And then Jesus says something very important about them in verse 2. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. What did these men have who carried him to Jesus? They had faith. Faith in Jesus. And they had a passion. They had a passion to bring him to Jesus. And so they showed faith. It says he saw their faith. What does it mean that Jesus saw their faith? Here's a key fact about faith. Our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Thoughts and prayers are good things. Good things to support one another with. But even better is action. He saw their faith when they took the time and the effort to bring this man to Jesus. And even as I emphasize what this man's people had done, let's not miss how tender Jesus is as they bring him to Jesus. He says, take heart. Take heart, my son. Take heart means take courage. Cheer up. I don't know how long he was paralyzed. I don't know how long he'd been laying in this bed 
He's face to face with Jesus now. And Jesus says, take heart. Everything's about to change. Everything's going to be better. Take heart. Take courage. Your faith, your people's faith, will be rewarded. Jesus' main priority is to bring people back into a right relationship with God. And if we're people of faith, if we're following him, this is also a main priority for us. God knows our hearts, and our hearts are displayed by our actions, just like these men. I was thinking about a time my wife, Lydia, at the, at the time she was only 41, she had to have a knee replacement. And um, we have three children who at the time were 14, 12, and 10, so they were of no help whatsoever, right? <laughs> I thought she was going to be in the hospital a few days, and on the second day when I visited her, the surgeon said to me, she's doing great, I'm sending her home in the morning. And this shook me up because I was supposed to have the house ready uh, for Lydia. We weren't used to this at, at our age to have to have the furniture organized for a walker to make its way into the living room. And um, I had to get a recliner to have her elevate her knee. And of course, I had been procrastinating. I wasn't ready. I raced home. I started to move the furniture into the position. And this included moving a piano to the other side of the living room without destroying it. Um, and that was on top of putting the new recliner together and putting the furniture in the right spot. And as I was doing all this, my kids were kind of shocked watching me. Uh, all of a sudden, I felt this pain in my chest. And I thought, I sat down, I was having a hard time breathing. Oh, shoot, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I felt completely helpless, and I called my brother, Kevin, who lived nearby, and I said, can you come over and watch the kids? I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> so now I'm in the emergency room getting a cardiac workup. My wife's two floors up with their knee replacement, recovery going on, and you know, just a normal day for parents, right? <laughs> it turned out I only I pulled a muscle moving that piano. Felt like a heart attack. I was able to go home. We had a few laughs the next morning as we were discharging her from the hospital. Here's one of the main things I remember about that period of our life. Our friends came alongside and helped us tremendously. At the time, we only had a half bath on the main floor of our home. We had some kind of steep stairs up to the second floor. And I remember several of her friends coming over to help her get up those stairs and be able to take a shower and they purchased groceries, and they cleaned, they, they fixed meals. I can't remember everything they did. I know we felt extremely loved and cared for. This paralyzed man must have felt that type of relief from the, the love of his people, whoever they were. How crucial it is to have other friends walking next to us in our lives. Friends who can help us when we can't help ourselves. And this applies not only to our practical needs, but to our spiritual needs. And Jesus is about to get to that. But let's stop and apply this to our own lives. Let's turn it around a bit. Instead of saying, who can help me? Let's ask ourselves, who can I help? 
Are we somebody's people? What kind of friends are we? Do we demonstrate our faith in Jesus through loving actions for others? This man needed to be brought to Jesus. Do we have friends who need Jesus? Do we live and speak in such a way that we bring them closer to knowing Jesus as their Savior? Our friends need friends like us who will walk alongside them through life. Friends who will encourage, friends who will pray for one another, friends who will take burdens, help us carry them, or we help them carry Friends, we can take to Jesus during the good times and the bad times. So here's an application question for all of us to think about. How can I be the kind of friend this week who will show the love of Jesus to someone in a practical way? How can I be the kind of friend this week who will show the love of Jesus to someone in a practical way? When this man was thinking, who can help me, his friends must have been saying, who can I help? Because they picked him up and they brought him to Jesus. So then our next question in this story, our third point is, what is my greatest need? Because this healing story kind of takes a turn in verse 2. Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I think we all expected Jesus to say to the man, you are healed. But at that point, he didn't. What did he say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Remember, this man's paralyzed. You don't get much more needy than that. And yet, he did have a greater problem than his poor health. He needed to have his sins forgiven. This man needed healing, but he also he needed forgiveness. And Jesus knew what to put first. This is the most important point of this story. Here it is. Nothing else in life is as important as coming into a right relationship with God by having our sins forgiven. Nothing else is as important as that. Tim Keller wrote this. Jesus is saying to him, I understand your problems, I've seen your suffering. I'm going to get to that. But please realize that the main problem in a person's life is never his suffering, it's his sin. Forgiveness of sins is our greatest need because our sins separate us from God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then just three chapters over, chapter 6, verse 23 says, the consequences of this are, for the wages of sin is death. And so our sin leaves us in a state where we're unable to live in a way that pleases God. In fact, the Bible describes us as being dead already when we haven't put our faith in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So in our sinful state, we sin against God by lying, by rebelling against him in a lot of different ways. 
We choose to live our lives our way, ignoring God and the world he created. That's all part of our sinful state. And Jesus makes a point here that there's a problem that's more serious than even being paralyzed. Our health, and that is our sin. And so the application for us to all come face to face with is, what do you see as your greatest need? Do you focus on your financial needs or your health or a relationship with another person? Maybe you see sin as a problem sometimes, but it's not really your greatest need. Maybe you try to live a good life. You don't want to come to church and be told that you're a sinner. I mean, settle down. Nobody really talks about this anymore, do they? But two important truths being taught in this story are the universal problem of sin and the compassionate God who can forgive us, who desires to save us. And so we're no different from the man in this story. Forgiveness is our greatest need. Without forgiveness of sins, we are condemned to die and be separated from God forever for the wages of sin is death. And forgiveness is not just about avoiding judgment. Forgiveness is a turning point in our lives where we go from being under God's condemnation to being under his favor. It's a life-changing moment where God's Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us the power we never had before to please him with our lives. So the good news is that Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. And by his death on the cross, we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24, teaches us this ultimate solution for our sin. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. And so this is the central message of Christianity, that God, through Jesus, is able to forgive us from our sin. A couple more verses, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, describes what God has done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're right back into our story. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The greatest need for this paralyzed man was the forgiveness of his sins. And in his love and grace, Jesus extended forgiveness to him when he saw his faith. And so this is how we too receive the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of God. It's by faith in Jesus. And so if you have not received the forgiveness of sins, I invite you today to see this as your greatest need. Come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as Jesus forgave this man's sins, a controversy broke out. Look at verse 3. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. 
But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? These scribes, they were the teachers of the Jewish law. And they knew an important fact about the forgiveness of sins. Only God can forgive sins. In both Mark and Luke's accounts of this story, the scribes said, who can forgive sins but God alone? This was a very clear point to them. Jesus was claiming to be God. And just as Jesus could see the faith of the people who brought this man to him, he could see the rejection of the scribes. And so our fourth point is that he asks them a question. Which is easier, to forgive or to heal? Verse 5, for which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? You know, when I hear a versus question like that, I, my mind goes to America's Funniest Home Videos. You ever watch that? And the, they always have the versus, like, what's funnier, kids falling off bikes or dancing dogs? You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's like versus. And, uh, and so when this kind of struck me when Jesus asked that, why did he frame this like a versus question? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? I mean, the scribes had probably seen him heal before. Because as we saw, he did a lot of healing prior to this. But they already had a point of view, if only God can forgive sins... Maybe healing is an easier thing. Jesus had already claimed to do the harder thing. He did that first. He forgave the man's sins. So in verse 6, it's as if he says to the scribes, okay, you've seen me do the hard thing, now I'll, I'll do the easier thing too. And in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Jesus tells us why forgiveness and healing were part of this story. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. His miracles proved that he was the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And his ability, his power to forgive was further confirmation of who he was. William MacDonald suggests this, the visible healing of the paralytic was designed to confirm that the man's sins had been forgiven, an invisible miracle. So they went together here to help us understand Jesus had the power to forgive. If you're God, you have the ability to heal and forgive. And if you're not God, you, you can't do either. The scribes realized that Jesus was claiming to be God by forgiving sins. And rather than accept the fact that he was God in the flesh, they accused him of blasphemy. And you know, blasphemy is showing lack of reverence for God or to claim that one has the attributes of God. If, if Jesus was guilty of blasphemy, how could he then raise this man in such a miraculous way? This was a key moment of decision for the scribes. It should have been clear to them 
by what they saw. I mean, look at the last chapter we already studied when Jesus displayed his power over nature and he calmed the storm. In verse 27, it said in in chapter 8, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And here in this story, the other people, not the scribes, but the others who were there Verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They might not have understood everything about it, but they saw the hand of God in it. Scribes saw his power to forgive, confirmed by his power to heal miraculously, and they did not reverence Jesus. They rejected him. Author Philip Yancey suggests that this demonstrates it really is more difficult to forgive than to heal. He wrote, Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a birth defect he could not reverse, a demon he could not exercise, but he did meet skeptics he could not convince, sinners he could not convert. Forgiveness of sins requires an act of will on the receiver's part. And some who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and forgiveness turned away unrepentant. I read a book recently about a brilliant surgeon. Uh, The book's entitled Last Night in the OR. And the surgeon's name is Bud Shaw, Dr. Bud Shaw. He was a pioneer in liver transplantation. And I read his life story very interesting as you walk through it. But at the beginning of chapter 6, my heart was just broken as I read this. And this is what he wrote. When my mother died, I lost faith in God, doctors, and dad. For whatever reason, none of them saved her. And he never recovered from that. I kept looking for some redemption in the book. He put all his emphasis on his mother being healed from her cancer without recognizing it's far more important to be in a right relationship with God. To receive the forgiveness of sins is far more important than healing that's temporary. Now Paul the Apostle helps us get this perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that our bodies are not the most important thing especially as we age and our health is declining. and There's just no comparison to these bodies with our eternal souls. And so there he writes, 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I mean, this perspective is invaluable if you have faith in Christ. Sometimes we experience the healing of God. Sometimes God provides improved health for us through some type of successful procedure or operation, but that's not always the case. So having this eternal perspective helps us when life brings us storms and setbacks 
because we know that this life is short compared with eternity. Jesus sympathizes with us. He's with us even if he chooses not to heal. Forgiveness is powerful because it carries eternal weight. It puts us in a right standing with God. So maybe you came today and you thought your greatest need was something other than the forgiveness that Jesus offers. But this story helps us understand, again, nothing else in life is as important as coming into a right relationship with God by having our sins forgiven. Because along with forgiveness forever, he welcomes us into his family, brings us into a personal relationship with himself. He rescues us from things that otherwise will wreck our lives. He protects us. He saves us. So the last point is about the power of forgiveness. Because even after we accept Christ and his offer of forgiveness, even after we become a Christ follower, the power of forgiveness is ongoing and it has deep meaning. Many of us struggle with guilt from our past and we tend to carry it around. Painful memories bother us for years. We relive past sin or struggle to escape from it. Sometimes it just brings us down. We, we feel the shame inside, and we feel like we can't get relief. And sometimes in church communities like ours, we, we tend to worry about appearances, and we smile, say, everything's fine. But inside, our stomach's churning. We feel alone power of forgiveness. David helped us understand this. King David, back in Psalm 32, in verses 1 and 2, he states the blessing that comes to our lives when we confess our sin to God and we seek to be transparent before God. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, again, to whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's what we experience in the power of forgiveness. But in the next two verses, David remembers the devastating impact when we hide our sin, when we, we seek to cover it up, when we don't call upon God's grace to work in our lives. And it brings us down. This is what he says in verse 3. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The forgiveness of God that Jesus offers relieves our hearts and our minds. Our relationships with God and with each other can be restored. Jesus wants us to know, even when we stumble, he can wipe our slate clean. 1 John 1, 9, a verse we often talk about, which is for us as believers. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's important for us as 
even believers in Christ, to ask, are we ignoring the power of forgiveness and the role it plays in our lives? And so here's an application question for us. What's keeping me from confessing my sin and accepting the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives? And how is this affecting my intimacy with God? These are heavy questions for us, but just to know as we see this story, the desire for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. So let's recap. Let's go back over what we've learned from this story. Who can heal me? Jesus demonstrated he has the power to heal. And then we turned that question, who can help me around, and said, who can I help? How can I be the kind of friend this week who will show the love of Jesus to someone in a practical way? And then we asked, what's my greatest need? And Jesus taught, nothing else in life is as important as coming into a right relationship with God by having our sins forgiven. We also looked at the power of forgiveness in a Christian's life. And those two questions we just asked ourselves, what's keeping me from confessing my sin and accepting the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives? How is this affecting my intimacy with God? Jesus displayed his power to heal and to forgive in the life of a paralyzed man who could not help himself. What a blessing for us to know. that We can put our faith in Jesus like this man did, and experience the forgiveness of sins, we can have peace with God. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this example of a paralyzed man who could not help himself. And your very words to him, to take heart. Son, we know that you desire for all of us here that we might have our sins forgiven. We might place our faith in you, Lord. So we pray that today for any who don't yet know you, that they might place their faith in you today. Have sins forgiven and peace with God. Lord, we pray for any who are struggling today who've forgotten the power of forgiveness, who are struggling in some way, we just pray for them, that they might realize coming to you, confessing, and experiencing that forgiveness. We just pray for help, that you would touch our hearts. Help us to live for you. Help us to be the kind of friends we see in the story just thank you for, again, this example to us of your power. And we ask your blessing now on your word in Jesus' precious name.